wouldn't trade it for anything. God has been so good to me. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and tell them that they've been Thank you. Come on. Tell, God, tell your neighbor God has been good, rather. Sorry if I was distracted up there. Look to your other neighbor and say he's been good to me. Come on. Get to know each other up here. How many are thankful? Are you thankful? Are you grateful? Amen. I wish I had a message on Thanksgiving, but I don't have one. Go to your life groups. Maybe they'll give you one. I've been hearing about great things going on in the life groups. So thankful for what happened with the Youth Friday. They had a thankful time, amen. Thanksgiving meals and preparation was done for that. I'm so thankful for the youth and all that came out. Go in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, verse 19. Somebody say, I'm a voice. Come on, I am a voice. We're moving verse by verse through the book of John. We are in chapter 1. We are now getting to John the Baptist, and his interaction with Jesus is just about ready to happen. But what we're going to see right here is the Jews interacting with John the Baptist. Remember, the Gospel of John is written by the Apostle John, not John the Baptist. Two Johns here. Sometimes it gets a bit confusing. And so now John the Apostle is going to tell us about John the Baptist. He's the baptizer. He's the one submersing people in water. He's preaching the Word of God. He's most likely the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is someone that is honored in the church today because of what he did and how he was faithful to his call. As John the Baptist was preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus, he was called a forerunner. I believe that we are now forerunners in the plural. We are now preparing the way for Jesus' second coming. Do I have any John the Baptist in this house today? saying, prepare the way of the Lord Jesus is coming. Get right or get left. Come on, somebody. I know you're not deaf. Woo, that was one of my friend's rap songs in Bible college. You better get right or you're going to get left. Come on, everybody. I know you're not deaf. That's how we used to, that's how we used to rap back then, by the way. It wasn't none of this mumble, 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 mumble stuff. You could hear what we were saying. Praise God. Not saying all rap is like that, but you get my point. Look at John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Can we say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. I am not the Messiah. Look at your neighbor and say, I am not the Messiah. Look at your other neighbor and tell them, come on, say it. I am not the Messiah. Can I look to you as your pastor and tell you I am not the Messiah? Y'all want to get a hold of me all the time, get a hold of Jesus. He's your Messiah, amen? I, I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to do all that I can, but you got to remember who I am and who I am not. I am not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. Nobody is the Messiah except Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that day that John the Baptist knew who he was and knew who he wasn't. He knew that Jesus could say, I am the Messiah, and he knew he had to say, I am not the Messiah. So often in life, we try to be things that we are not, but we need to confess freely to people what we are not. 
but yet we also need to know who we are in Jesus' name. Amen? So they're going to go on asking him, okay? So if you're not the Messiah, then verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, what? Come on. He said, I am not. Say it again. I am not. So they're going through a list of candidates to who he possibly might be. They start with the Messiah. Now they go to Elijah, and he says, I am not. Next they say, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Verse 22, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say, or what rather, what do you say about yourself John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice. Come on, just highlight that part right there. Somebody say, I am the voice. Amen. John the Baptist said, just I am the voice part, please. John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He said, I am not the Messiah, but he said, I am the voice. Can I talk to you today about being the voice? I want to talk to you today from my heart to yours. This might be emotional for me because i got to tell you, this hits me right where, right where my feels are at. I was crying in my car thinking about this message. I've been in my prayer closet crying about this because so often we get caught up in who we are not and we don't know who we are. And then once we know who we are, sometimes we get jealous of what other people are compared to who we are. And then we start to compare ourselves with others. And then we forget the precious call that God has given us. And so today I just want to remind you that no matter what your calling may be and how it compares or stacks up to others, you are special. You are called by God. You have a purpose. And you are a part of a John the Baptist generation that is called to be a voice. And even if today, and I know that we have people that reach out to the deaf and to those that may not be able to use their voice, I want to say you can use your sign language. You can use your typing. You can use whatever you have to do, your texting today, because you've got to be a part of this voice, uh, this generational voice of preparing the way of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We'll get to that in just a moment. Reading through the text, verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. So he told them who he was, who he wasn't. Now they question him and they say, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He said, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the side, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And you know there, he really doesn't give them an answer. He just says, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and there's one coming after me that's going to do what he has to do. Somebody say, I am a voice. Thank you. Scrolling up to the top here, I want you to have, as, as always, some theology, some biblical studies before we get into the preaching. So can I teach it before I preach it? Or as the other words, can I tell it before I yell it? Okay, let me just tell it before I yell it here. When they asked him, are you Elijah, more than likely they were asking him if he was literally Elijah. That's why he says no, because what we're going to learn in just a little bit, in Matthew, Jesus calls him the Elijah that comes before to prepare his way. And so often people may, who are looking rather for a contradiction may say, here's one. 
John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah, but then Jesus says, he is Elijah. So how can we reconcile this? What we have to understand is what the Jews meant by that question. Are you Elijah? Because Elijah had been taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. They thought that he was literally going to come back before uh, the Messiah came. And the reason why that is is because of the prophecies we'll get into in just a moment. They didn't understand that what that meant was someone was going to come in the spirit of Elijah or in the power of Elijah or be like Elijah. Does everybody get the difference? They thought because Elijah had went to heaven in a cloud of fire, you know, in the um, chariot of fire, that because he was there, that he had not died, he was taken directly to heaven. They thought he was going to come back. So when John the Baptist is saying, I am not Elijah, he is answering them according to their theology. He's saying, no, man, I have my own mom. I have my own dad. I was born in this family. I came at this time. I am not a person named Elijah from the Bible that came from heaven to earth to prepare the way for the Messiah. Does everybody see how how that works? And that's important that we understand that because we may see a contradiction if we don't. Because once again, he says, I'm not Elijah. Jesus says he is. But now let's look to it. Go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Starting in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. You're going to see why this Elijah figure was popular for understanding the end or uh, the beginning of the end times. And I believe Jesus' first coming is going to kick off the beginning of the end times. Remember at Pentecost, uh, Peter says, these are the last days. And if that was the beginning of the last days, what do I think we're in right now 2,000 years later? The last seconds of the last minute of the last hour. Okay, now look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeing will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So who is this messenger preparing the way for? The Lord, the Lord they are seeking. Isn't it powerful that we get a message of Jesus' divinity in the calling of John the Baptist? John the Baptist is not preparing the way just for another prophet to come or a mere man to come. John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lord to come to his temple. Who does the temple belong to if not to God? And doesn't Jesus come to that temple and call it his father's house? That he shares in the nature of his father as a son and that he goes to that temple and he brings forth the conclusion of the old covenant and institutes the new covenant at his death, burial, and resurrection. Isn't that powerful? Now go to Malachi chapter 4 further into the same context here. You will now see in Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 5, The prophet says, see, or God speaking rather through the prophet, says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. How many are glad that John the Baptist came and Jesus came in grace and mercy and Armageddon didn't come 2,000 years ago? How many are glad that today we are in an age of grace because of what John the Baptist prepared for Jesus to do and what he accomplished? Come on, can I hear an amen for grace? 
Did you guys want us all to be wiped out 2,000 years ago? All of human history, you wouldn't even exist. Come on, I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I get a chance to know God. I'm also happy that my ancestors and all of the other nations get an opportunity to know God. Otherwise, if he would have came and judged the earth at that point, it would have been a small kingdom. But how many are glad that we are a part of a large kingdom? It's going all across the earth. The gospel is not just for the Israelites. It starts with the Jews, but then it goes to the Gentiles, to all the different parts of the earth. So that's where the prophecy uh, comes together with understanding this figure named Elijah. So now you could understand, I mean, it's not that too hard of a stretch that they might have thought that uh, Elijah was actually going to come. Look at what it says again in verse 5. See, I, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So in their mind, they're thinking, okay, Elijah had went to heaven. He is not dead. Elijah literally is going to come, and then that's how we're going to know the Messiah is here. So when they hear about John the Baptist out in the wilderness preaching, it's very apocalyptic. They're thinking he has something to do with the Messiah. It's obviously on his mind. It's a part of what he's saying that someone is coming even greater than him and he can't even tie their shoe, untie their shoe or their chancla, their sandal. So obviously he's got to be talking about the Lord, the Messiah coming. So then who is he? That's why they ran through these different things starting with Elijah. Now going back to the notes, we'll see that Jesus talks about John the Baptist in Matthew 11 verse 12. Go with me to Matthew 11 verse 12. Somebody say, work the word. Amen. Don't get bored. We're going to get to the preaching. Some tears might come out in just a little bit. I might get emotional, but come on, we got to work this word. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus speaking here, starting in verse 11. Good, sir. Thank you. Just a little bit more, and I'll get it. Thank you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is none risen anyone greater. There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How many are in the kingdom of heaven today? Then you are greater than every Old Testament prophet. Even what Jesus said was the greatest Old Testament prophet. Isn't that amazing? You are greater than Moses by Jesus being inside of you. That's what the new covenant means, by the way, is Christ inside of you. So I know a lot of times we look to these Old Testament heroes and we think about how amazing they are, but the Bible says the least in the kingdom of God. That means if you just got saved last week, baby, you greater than John the Baptist in Jesus' name because you got God the Son living on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That should give you some, some pep in your step this week. Amen. I'm greater than John the Baptist in Jesus' name. You better put in Jesus' name there, otherwise you might fall like Satan, okay? Splat right on your face in pride. But Jesus said it because he wants us to understand the great privilege it is to be in the new covenant. As a reminder, second service is going through Galatians. It's a little bit more technical. It's a little bit more on the edge of being rebuked and us having a lot of tough teachings there. But it would be good for you in this service to also listen to that service via Facebook, YouTube, and the podcast because we learn about the new covenant. And sadly, those who are trying to the Judaizers bring people back to the old covenant and yet still call themselves Christians. It's a counter. Addiction. Jesus is clearly saying here that there's nobody greater than John the Baptist. And notice, by the way, John the Baptist didn't even have signs and wonders like Moses and Elijah and all those other prophets. And yet Jesus says he was greater. So there's something about our connection and closeness to Jesus that makes us greater or weaker. See, John the Baptist was the prophet closest to Jesus. That's what made him greater than all the other ones. Even though Moses got to meet with the pre-incarnate Jesus, he didn't actually got to touch and 
handle Jesus as John the Baptist did. So notice the greatness or the weakness of a prophet was not based on their signs and wonders, but by their closeness to Jesus. And that's why he then says those who are now in the kingdom of heaven, even the least of us, are greater than all the Old Testament prophets. Now look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. And, and the King James says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I like that way of saying it. And notice he says, from the days of John the Baptist, what this means is that people are trying to violently stop the gospel from being preached. John the Baptist gets beheaded. People are getting severely persecuted during this time. But the Bible says that the violent in spirit, those who are passionate in their spirit aren't letting the violence that is coming against them stop them. As a matter of fact, it's making them push harder against the things of the world and they're conquering in Jesus' name. How many here want to take some things by Holy Ghost force? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Then he says here now, verse 13, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he, talking about John, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So now we understand the interpretation of Malachi. Elijah coming is not the person in heaven coming. It's not reincarnation, as some have tried to also slip in here. It is simply saying that what made Elijah Elijah was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that was upon the prophet Elijah to do the things that he was doing is now upon this one that we know as John the baptizer. That is why he is the Elijah to come. Does everybody get that? Even today we use that terminology. This is the next Michael Jordan or this is the next person of so-and-so of influence and we use their name to represent a kind of skill or ability. And we know that it was the Holy Spirit that anointed Elijah to make him who he was and therefore this is now, this Holy Spirit is upon John. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Going back now to the context. So who are you? Are you Elijah? He says no, because he isn't Elijah. He's really trying to help them understand, like, no, man, I I had a birthday. I was born, and I'm not reincarnated. I don't have somebody on the inside of me telling me I once was alive at another time period. He is telling them, I'm not that. I am not that. But when Jesus comes, Jesus clarifies what that meant, and I believe John the Baptist would understand and receive that, so no contradiction. The next thing that they ask him now, after asking if he's the Messiah, he's clearly not. They ask him if he's Elijah. Of course, now he's clarifying that he's not. Then they say, are you the prophet? Most of us today as Christians don't understand the importance of the prophet. Everybody say, the prophet. The prophet was someone prophesied by Moses that at this time when the Jews were thinking apocalyptically towards the end times when the Messiah would come, and remember they only understood one coming, so when he comes it's one and done. He's going to take over the world, he's going to rule from Jerusalem, and the Jews are going to be God's favorite people. That's how they thought about it and what they would, what they would term their eschatology, their end time thinking. And so they had this figure that was known as the prophet, different from the Messiah. Let's get the uh, context of where they would get that from. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. How many have ever heard a teaching about the prophet? 
Not anybody in this church. Well, maybe one person. Amen. Thank you for coming. You help me if they have any questions, okay? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And by the way, this is where every false prophet, including Joseph Smith and uh, Muhammad and others, have tried to snuggle or uh, smuggle themselves in. They might try to uh, snuggle as well, but they're trying to smuggle themselves in as they look to this figure known as the prophet. The reason why this is important to them, this figure, is because Jesus fulfills it in one sense, but they try to say, how did it get fulfilled in another sense? So they still think that there was a prophet to come after Jesus. Now notice this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Does everybody see that? He's going to raise up a prophet, Moses is saying, like me, and you must listen to him. And then in verse 16, it says why they needed this to begin with, because it was not God's original intention for them to have to need a prophet. That was something that they wrongly chose at the mountain. Here he clarifies, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. Can I just pause right here and say that God wants you to hear his voice? Can I just pause right here? Some of you are hooked on going to 1-800-PROPHESY-OVER-ME because I need your help, prophet. Some of you are hooked on that Zoom call so that you can get another word from prophet so-and-so. And And really, they don't spell prophet like P-R-O-P-H-E-T. They spell like P-R-O-F-I-T. They want this. They are prophet of another kind. Are you listening? And so many people running to a prophet this and a prophet that and prophet over here and there and everywhere. Even the Bible says that that was never the intention. It was God's intention to talk with you just like how he talked to Moses, just like how he talked to the other prophets. It was because those folks refused to have a relationship with him that he now said, okay, well, you asked Moses to be your representative. Now that's the way you're going to have it. And when we look to the New Testament, as we just learned, we're greater than even Moses because now we have Christ in us. Prophets are there to encourage us, to show us how to hear more clearly from God, but they can never replace the voice of God inside of you. God has his voice, his his spirit, his word inside of you. If you're a Christian, amen. Come on, somebody say, I hear God's voice. Amen. Now going back to the notes. We're going to see how Moses truly said this would be done. Now go to chapter 34, verse 10 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 34, verse 10 is going to show us this could not be Joseph Smith. This, is, this could not be Muhammad. That, in fact, this is going to be Jesus. This is going to be Jesus. Now, here at the end of the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five books of the New Testament, also, uh, Old Testament, also known as the Pentateuch, those five. The Torah. Here's how it ends. Last verse of Deuteronomy. 
Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. So we believe Moses wrote most of the five books, the first five books of the Bible. We believe that. But here now we know that there is a scribe that finishes this off for him. And some believe it's during the time of Joshua or even during the time of Judges. Some say it could have been Joshua writing this. Some say it could have been Samuel, another prophet that comes along later. We don't know exactly when this is inserted to the end of Moses' writings in the Torah, in the Pentateuch. We see here that this person is saying, no one has come and risen up in Israel like Moses. So that's how we know that this wasn't simply saying that his predecessor, like Joshua, would be that prophet. We know it's not Joshua. I can't count for anybody like that. Here's how we know, because it says, no one has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew. How did he know him? Face to face. Somebody say face to face. Thank you. This relationship that Moses had with God was even greater than what Abraham and others had. It seems like they're getting it in, in, in little moments of visitation, like when, when God would show up on the plains of Mamre and meet with Abraham face to face, or at other visitations like with Hagar and so forth. But here we see at this time, this person is saying, no one is hanging out with God face to face like the way Moses did who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of who? All of Israel. Now, this is where people try to say, they say, Jesus could not have been this prophet because Moses did all of these signs and wonders, and in the context of Israel, it was for conquering and taking land. And so then a Mohammedan will come along and say, you see, Jesus lacks one part of this, that Jesus didn't do what Moses did and conquer people to take land or was not a warlord. See, Muhammad is a warlord conquering for land. And believe it or not, if you want to look at Mormonism, they're the white Anglo version of uh, and more modern version of the Middle Eastern version of Islam. And if you flip flop them, they're about the same in whatever way you want to look at it. One is in the Middle Eastern context of trying to raise up a prophet with a different book, and another one is in the American context trying to raise up a prophet with a different book. One is called the Quran, one is called the Book of Mormon. And both of them try to then say, as Mormons now say, they say, see, once again, Jesus didn't get land, Jesus didn't conquer, but it was through Joseph Smith that the Mormons went out west, took over land, and now reestablished a Jerusalem here in this world, or in the new world. Now let me ask you a question. Those who disqualify Jesus, either from Islam or from Mormonism, is there anything here in what will differentiate a prophet from the main prophet? Is there anything here about conquering land? Is there anything here that says they will get land? No, you see, they read into the description about Moses' signs and wonders. 
You see, Moses' signs and wonders weren't primarily for land. It was to give glory to God and to show the people of Israel that God was truly with them. But now you know how people try to smuggle their false prophet into these predictions about what they think Jesus did not do and what another prophet has come to do. Because like I said, both of them were warlords. Both of them died in a some kind of a battle. Uh, after conquering people, Muhammad was killed by a Jewish woman that he had conquered her people and she poisoned him and died. Now why he would receive a meal from her after he just killed her people shows you how stupid is as stupid does. And it was actually a sign that he was a false prophet because he said, if I'm a false prophet, I'll die by issues of the aorta because that's where you speak from. And it was the poison that affected his aorta. By his own writings, he's a false prophet. Can I hear an amen? Not only that, he was demonized. No Gabriel spoke to him. An angel from hell spoke to him. And the same thing with Joseph Smith going out in guns blazing in a mid, is what you could say, a uh, kind of like a uh, a country shootout in a town that they had arrested him for all the things that they were doing. Some of his followers tried to break him out, and he goes out with guns blazing. Now, I want you to think, a country like a country western. Now, I want you to think about Jesus now. Don't think about those false prophets anymore, amen? Don't think about how people have tried to say Jesus didn't do this. Let's now go to the context, and let's see if Jesus does this. Whom the Lord would speak to face to face. Now, open up another tab, John 1.1. How close was Jesus to the Father? Come on, how would Jesus speak to the Father face to face? Nobody knew the Father like Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, the Father would come down and show up and talk to people, or talk to him and loud enough just so people could hear. Are you tracking with me? While he's getting baptized, he says, this is my son. Listen to him. On the mountain of transfiguration, he repeats himself. Now, I want you to notice this. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Highlight that phrase, please. The Word was with God. In the Greek, the Word was with God. That is prostantheon. You don't have to know Greek to know this. You can study it, and you can see it for yourself. Prostantheon, when it says the Word was with God, God, that literally means, and the word was face to face with God. Face to face. Somebody say face to face. Now go down to John chapter 1, verse 18, in review for you what we have already gone through. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, or as we learned last week, as is in the bosom of the Father, has made him known. How many know you can't be in somebody's bosom unless you're close to their face? Hello, somebody. Let's talk about married life for a minute. No, we won't. No, we won't. Too many single people here. Too many young people. How many married folks are happy that if you're in somebody's bosom, you're close to their face? I'm embarrassed. I can't look at you, but I know you're happy. Amen. I'm getting embarrassed. So he's face-to-face with the Father like nobody else. See, Moses was probably the one even greater than David that had a face-to-face relationship with God. It's told us over and over and over again in his experiences that that's how he interacted with God. And so we can say that the only one that could come close to that would be Jesus. And then we see that the signs and wonders 
are going to be with this prophet like God was with Moses. And then if you remember, I took you through the book of Mark, and I began to show you that in the book of Mark, we see that Jesus repeats the exodus. It's called the second exodus. If you remember, the exodus starts with them being delivered and the Red Sea's parting. What is Jesus doing on a boat when the storms come? He speaks to the wind and to the waves. See, Jesus is now showing you, I can do what Moses can do and even greater. And then what happens after that is that the enemies of God, Pharaoh's army, are drowned in the sea. Jesus then delivers a man from demons, puts the demons into the pigs, and they go drown themselves into the sea. Jesus now shows that the greater enemy is not an army like Pharaoh. The greater enemy is the devil, and I control him too, baby. I tell him and his followers where to go. Come on, somebody. And then as a crescendo, the mountain of transfiguration, as we see when Moses would meet with God face to face, there would always be someone he was talking to face to face, but a voice he couldn't see. We now know on the mountain of transfiguration that the one he was always talking to was Jesus, and the one he couldn't see was the Father, because on the mountain of transfiguration, God brings Moses there, and then Moses sees the glorified Jesus having that relationship with the Father. And he says, ain't nobody close to the Father like you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that John knew that he wasn't the prophet. Are you listening to me? That's good theology. I got preaching on the teaching side. Go back to the notes, please. Are you the Messiah? No, nope, not the Messiah, they asked him. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. I have my own parents. But Jesus will say of me that I come in the spirit of Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, there is someone that is that prophet, and he's about ready to come and do his work. So then they asked him, they said, well, how is it you have this kind of authority to baptize? Why is it you can call people to repentance? Why is it you are preaching about the incoming? Why is it you're doing all of these things? And then he clearly says, I am the voice. This is now where we can come into the life of John the Baptist just for a moment to be encouraged by this prophet. I want you to think about his obscure birth, coming to an elderly family through his father, a prophet, Zechariah. He wasn't even supposed to be born into a family like that. His parents were too old, and yet God gives a special blessing to that family for him to come. He's then the elder cousin of Jesus. When uh, Mary comes to talk to her cousin, Elizabeth, she's pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist leaps in the womb. He's got a special calling on his life. We don't hear much about him after that. We just know that he is honorable and is worthy of us listening to because by the time he shows up, he is wild and crazy and preaching about the kingdom of God, and we ought to listen to him. Can I hear an amen? We see he's not like the other kids. He's not like the other young adults. He's not like everybody else. Even in that day, what he was wearing would be strange. The Bible says he wore sackcloth or camel's hair or something that was very uncomfortable. He wasn't wearing the silk or the nice cloth of that day. And when he would find something, want, want to eat, he wouldn't go over there to the shawarma grill. He wouldn't get some pitas and some vegetables and some of these things and hummus. He would look around and eat wild locusts and honey. 
And the Bible says he looked like he was a little bit crazy with his long beard and his long hair flowing out. And so sometimes I think we want to beautify John the Baptist, but I like him wild and crazy. How many can handle a wild and crazy prophet? Amen. How many can understand that today, that we need somebody like that, that doesn't look like all the rest, that doesn't sound like all the rest, that doesn't have the same diet as everybody else, that looks a little bit different. People might think they're strange, but they have a word from the Lord, and they're shouting it out for the world to hear. person might come to church having on dreadlocks, smelling like patchouli, eating vegan, but preaching like a house on fire. Are you listening to me? You don't know where that next person may come that has the same heart as, a, as Elijah, and so we ought not to discount him for those things. But we see him in the other Gospels preaching with so much power and authority that even those that are soldiers come to him and ask him, what must we do to be saved? Uh, Jewish leaders are asking him that same question, what must we do to be saved? And he tells them, repent of all your wickedness. If you've stolen and given it back, if you have clothes and you have extra, give it all away. He starts talking about that you need to bring forth the fruit of repentance. He says to people that if you just think you came from Abraham, that you're safe, you're all right. He says out of these rocks, God can raise up children of Abraham. He then tells them that the axe is already laid at the root, that judgment is about ready to come. And he says, repent if that's applying to you, and I'll baptize you right now. How many would have listened to John the Baptist back then? I would have listened to him. I would have been crazy enough to meet him out there in the wilderness to say, okay, I, I want to hear what you have to say, John. And so now what was uh, John's psychology like going through all of that? Well, I think Jesus was his peace. I think he knew that Jesus was coming. I don't know how much interaction he had already had with his cousin, but we know that he had had interaction before, so probably he kept that interaction going. And maybe even at this time, uh, as it says here in the context, go down a little bit, please, to verse 24, is that Jesus might have been coming to John the Baptist's church. Uh, I'll keep on going down. I think it's going to be around uh, verse 27. It says, uh, verse 26, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. What do you think it would have been like for John the Baptist to be preaching every day, and there's Jesus just standing there listening to him? Talk about intimidating. There is the Messiah right there, and John the Baptist just keeps preaching. You could almost imagine like John the Baptist saying to him afterward, like, hey, cuz, when are you going to start doing this, man? It's getting hot up here, man. They're starting to threaten me. They're getting upset with me. You see all the people coming to question me, but I just see you chilling right by the water. Jesus may be sitting on a rock, got his feet just dangling in the water, just watching what's going on. John the Baptist catching heat from everybody, but Jesus just chilling. And he's like, listen, I'm telling you I'm not the Christ, but he's somewhere among you right now, like right over there, you know. Like, come on, Jesus, help me out here a little bit. Could you imagine being John the Baptist? I mean, you're wild and crazy, but you want some backup at some point. You probably didn't fit in much. And now you finally have the chance to fit in and for someone to show you, that, uh, show everybody that what you've been doing is right, someone to validate you. See, I honor John the Baptist for all of these things, these backstories that we take for granted. He was preaching. He was preaching in the face of opposition. He was preaching in the face of wickedness. He was preaching while people were calling him out. And yet he knew Jesus was with him. He didn't have to go beyond what Jesus had said. And he could trust that Jesus was going to do what only Jesus can do. Can I hear an amen? And I want to now apply this to us. I want to apply this to our lives because I feel like we don't understand so often that Jesus is with us. 
that we feel strange as Christians in this land. Don't you feel strange at times? I mean, maybe your hair is not different. Maybe your clothes aren't different. But don't you kind of feel like you're a stranger in a strange land? You're just trying to watch a video with your kids, and then all of a sudden two homosexuals come on talking about how they're in love with each other, and you just feel at that point that you don't, you don't recognize that as real. You don't see that as valid, and you feel strange, like you don't fit in. Or you hear people on your job talking about how they're a Christian, and yet they live in sin and have no conviction for what they do. Don't you kind of feel like you're the nerdy one just sitting at the table by yourself eating your wild locusts and honey? Have you ever felt rejected by the religious establishment? Am I talking to anybody here today? Maybe my heart is not your heart, but this is where it touches me the most is because I know Jesus knows me. I know Jesus knows me. I know Jesus knows you. And even though we may be rejected and pushed out by the world and and be considered as weird and as someone who doesn't fit in and we're not with it, Jesus is saying, this one right here is the greatest. This one is the one that I'm hanging out with today. I'm going to his church. Just imagine that when you were around at that time. You know, Mary obviously had a lot of understanding of who Jesus was. And you could just almost see like, Jesus, where are you going today? Are you going over here to this synagogue? Jesus, are you going over here to hear this great person speak? Jesus, are you going to the temple? Are you going to these places? You could almost hear uh, Jesus say back to his mother Mary, Mary, I'm going out to the wilderness. I'm going over here to see my cousin John because he's real. He's the real deal. He's not influenced by politicians. He's not influenced by the who's who in the charismatic zoo. This man is living for my father. I'm going to go sit by the shore and listen to him preach a while. I just want to know, is there anybody here willing to come out into the wilderness to hear a voice? Is there anybody willing now to not only hear the voice, but go out and be a voice? To be a voice in a wilderness, in a, in a land that is lost and they don't know their way. Are you willing to be a voice like John the Baptist and say, I may not dress like everybody over here. I may not look like everybody over here, but I have a voice and I want to tell you to prepare your way for the Lord. They may look at you a certain kind of way at Thanksgiving. They may say things about you. They may have a a way of trying to call you out like, what do you think? Are you a pastor? No, I'm not a pastor. Are you an elder? No, I'm not an elder. Well, are you one of those prophets? No, I'm not a prophet. Well, then who are you? Baby, I'm called to come to this dinner and tell you, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm a voice. I'm a voice here in Thanksgiving. That's who I am. I'm a voice. So often we want to take our voice and fit it into the world with a harmony of sin. We want our voice to hit the huh of sin. You know I can't harmonize, but you get what I'm trying to do here. Uh, okay, where you at, Oprah? Uh, let me harmonize with you, baby. Oh, let me harmonize with you. You know, let me harmonize with you, Hollywood, because I want you to make a book deal with me and, and movie deal. Let me harmonize. We're trying to put our voice to the harmony of the world. And John the Baptist said, I'm not going to take my voice and harmonize it with the world. I'm not here to harmonize with RuPaul. I'm not here to harmonize with what's going on in the media. I'm here to be a voice that shatters the lies of the enemy. I'm not, I'm not this, and I'm not that, and I'm not what everybody thinks I should be, but I know I am a voice. How often have you been in that place of testing about whether or not you're going to have a voice? 
You see, in my life, like I said, it gets me emotional. Is there's sometimes nothing you can do except just use your voice. I remember one time being on Bourbon Street preaching the gospel in New Orleans. And somebody who was drunk from the Jewish background just stormed right in front of my face. They think because we're preaching loud for everybody to hear that that now means they can take that intensity and come this close to us. And I'll tell you, that will test your faith right there. Has anyone ever been there before? So we preaching, and this guy now want to take the tone of preaching and put it right here in my face. And they think that that doesn't count for harassment, but it does, because I'm not screaming at you two feet from, uh, you know, two inches from your face. You understand? We got a bubble around us. We preaching to you as you walk by. Now, this is how they want to do it. And this man, belligerent, you know, perverted speech, looked me right in the eyes as loud as he possibly could and said, you blankety blank, blank, my family died in the Holocaust. We're Jewish believers at their death. Are you telling me that Jesus sent them to hell? What do you say at that moment? You say, the Bible says yes. If they have not been born again, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And it's easy to say right now in these comfy chairs, you know, got your Christian neighbor next to you. Hopefully they smell good right now. But Tony, go ahead and stand up for me. But what are you going to do when you got a drunk boy the size of Tony inside your, your, your space? <laughs> your safe space has been violated. How many know Tony's only preaching the gospel? Let's give it up for Tony. That's the size of that man. Maybe a foot taller. No, I'm kidding. He was a big boy in my face. Uh, uh, well, uh, I just came uh, to tell you Jesus loves you. I could have said that, couldn't I? I could have backed down where it counted most. Uh, 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 hold on, hold on. Um, uh, hold on. Will you talk to him real quick? I could have had somebody else talk to him, but I had a choice that day. Will I use my voice? Emotional, heartfelt, but you got to be willing to use your voice even when it hurts. Because I'm telling you right now, your emotions can be manipulated by this world, but you got to go deeper to where the spirit is and feel what God is saying. Are you listening to me? Somebody say, I'm a voice. First funeral I preached was for my sister. She died drinking and driving. You've heard the story, but hear it in this context. Woken up at 5 in the morning while on break from Bible college at my family's house. My mother wakes me up. Jenny has died. How did Jenny die? She can't even form the words. The police just called. She's rambling about other details. I can't understand her. She's in hysteria. I get out of my bed, and I bring her right down to her knees next to my bed on my knees, and I say, God, help us. That's how my day started. Then we drive here. I lived in Indiana, but my family was from here. We drive here to one of the suburbs of Chicago, and we go to the, the impound where the car is at. Before we visit the body, we go to the impound, and my Mom is building her way up to go actually see the body. So we go to the impound, and the car is on top of a tow truck, smashed like a pop can. 
from what we understand from the police, their best guess looking at the skid marks and everything, and the story behind the story was she was at a bar. People tried to tell her not to drive, but they didn't insist on it. So she drove on a street that was supposed to be 35 miles an hour, and it had a pretty sharp turn, but she kept going 70, is their guess, and hit a pole, split the car in two, shredded it, and came through the shrap metal. I was sitting in the back of my parents' car watching her, my mom, go to the car and try to fit her way inside to get things to remember her last, the last moments of her daughter with. I remember her taking off the thing from the review mirror, going into the glove box, and then continually falling and my dad trying to pick her up. Then the funeral was set after she saw that it was her daughter and they could piece her together well enough to have an open casket. And my mom came to me and said, will you preach the funeral? Somebody say, I'm just a voice. I remember saying to myself, well, I, 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 I'm just a college student. I, 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 I don't know what I'm going to say. I, ha I haven't been trained on how to do a funeral yet. And I know her friends are going to be there. Her two children from two different baby daddies are going to be there. And I'm going to have to talk about heaven and hell. She said, I want you to preach. By God's grace that day, I stood up in a funeral parlor with my sister, standing or laid out behind me, and all the friends and family that we had known throughout the years, my mother here and the, my nephews there, and, and I had to preach. I began to comfort my mother, comfort those who had lost their mother. I began to preach about how good God was, but then there was something in my voice I had to talk about. Because you see, I had preached to my sister a few weeks earlier, and she had given her heart to Jesus, but I warned her about going back to her sin, and I had told her, you can't go back, because that's like a dog going back to vomit. That's like a pig going back to mud. And I didn't hear from her after that. And the next time that I saw her, I saw her in that casket. And so as a good preacher, I don't know where a soul is at, heaven or hell, but I certainly know the path to heaven or hell. So I began to preach heaven good and heaven good for sinners to be saved and come to and hell hot. And I began to talk about there being only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you live by the flesh, you shall perish. And you could see the reaction on people's faces. This is not the funeral we should have given Jenny. How dare you use this funeral to preach about her sin? Somebody say, I'm just a voice. And still to this day, those children remember that message. They remember what I preached about their mother dying that day. You have to understand that your voice is going to get tested. 
you're going to have real deep felt emotions about whether or not you should use your voice and whether or not you should speak up and tell the truth. I feel so bad as I watch these shows because all of the media is pushing towards parents accepting as a, a sinful lifestyle a good thing in their children's lives. And I'm not saying, I want to be very clear here, that we should abuse our children, whip the gay out of our children, or try to be mean to them if they confess any sin. Can I hear an amen? Okay, we should love them and be kind to them and not uh, just, you know, be mean to them and beat them. We, we're not going to win a spiritual battle by spanking them. Okay, are you listening? As my parents said, if I could have if I could have made Joe an angel by spanking, he would have been Gabriel by now because I got whooped all the time, okay? You cannot take a devil and whoop him into an angel, okay? Now listen, spanking is good, but you, do, you know, you just can't be spanking all the sin out of your children. I know sometimes you want to, but, but I want you to hear this. I feel so bad for parents now because you'll see these children come, you know, to shows like America's Got Talent, and they'll come out, and they'll say, oh, I wish my mom could be here, but she's not because, you know, I came out as gay, and, and now my parents, they, they don't want to support me in my lifestyle. And then what will happen? All the judges will go, oh, you poor thing. Your parents are so backwards, and then the slow music will begin to play, and it will show them looking out the window and the rain coming down. They were a lonely child and all of these things. All they wanted to do was sashay and pretend to be this and that, and their parents wouldn't let them put on makeup if they were a boy, but now they can be the boy George they always wanted to be. How many have seen how the media manipulates our emotions? How many see how they want to paint that picture to the point that if you were to use your voice and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they would say, behead them. See, they want to set it up to the point that if you just use your voice, they now have evidence against you to cast you out of their culture, to cast you off that job to put you down, put you out, and if they could, to even kill you. But how many here are going to use their voice? Vinny, would you come, please? Thank you, Lord, for helping me not cry. Well, I would have cried and kept preaching, but it would have been messy. You know what I'm saying. How many have a messy cry? That's why I don't cry much when I preach, because it's a messy cry. <laughs> Some of y'all cry and just wipe it away. No, no, that's not me. It gets messy. But I was crying as I was going through this message, thinking about the times God gave me a voice and how just emotional it was to stand up for righteousness and how I know it's going to be that for you. Because I, I wish that when you stood up for what is righteous, that there would almost be like those moments you see in the movies when the person's about ready to make that shot, you know, at the buzzer. And then everybody erupts into applause. I wish that would be there for you. But when you use your voice like I did at that funeral, people are going to get angry with you. Even my mom came at me and said, I was a little tough, but I'm glad you preached so people could get saved. Because it was hard for her to hear me preach that about her daughter. And when that man came in my face... There was nobody that applauded me. As a matter of fact, there was one man that was out there from another ministry that said, man, I'm glad that you stood up for the gospel. That was amazing. I'm like, why were you standing way over there? <laughs> I'm like, you standing next to me would have been a little bit better. 
But you could just imagine this. You know, you're all out preaching, and then you see some guy get up in somebody's face. That's by, by the way, we never let that happen here. We stand together, we go down together, amen. Anytime anybody ever does that, you all better rush up in there and say, you don't just got a problem with one of us, we all going to say it together. H-E double hockey sticks, what you don't understand. Hell is hot, heaven's not. But listen to me. That man came to me and said, oh, I was watching you from a distance. I'm like, glad you were, you know, nice and safe over there. Did you have your popcorn too, right? I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to be in these moments. Some of you have already been there. You know what I'm talking about. And people are going to ask you, by what authority do you say this to me? Who do you think you are? Why do you get to offend all of us? What makes you better than us? And I pray that you'll say what John the Baptist said. I'm not this and I'm not that. But I am the voice. I am the voice of one calling out at this barbecue, at this Thanksgiving dinner, at this funeral, on this street. I am the voice calling out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. I remember thinking back as I was preparing this message on different times where the voice and the message ended with tears of rejoicing. As it was once emotional in the moment, it became a blessing at the end. Quickly, just another story before we go. I was preaching on Decatur Street right outside of the French Quarter in front of the bar called The Hideout where Courtney Love, Kurt Cobain's wife and widow would be, as well as Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. These were popular alternative bands of the late 90s. And I would go out there and preach, and these guys and, uh, you know, men and women would be scoring heroin and getting drugs, and they would uh, get tattoos all over their face with witchcraft symbols. They would shave their teeth into fangs. They would wear vile shirts towards uh, Christianity just to shock people. And I would go right there, by God's grace, every Friday to preach the gospel. So I know what real devils look like in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people playing with fake devils. I know what real devils look like in Jesus' name. There was one time I got scared and ran away from one of them, one with the fang and no eyebrows, and they were all messed up. But I said, after I went home, the Lord told me, don't you ever do that again. You stand on my, my word and rebuke them in Jesus' name. But I'm telling you, one time I was like a Scooby-Doo, and I ran from some ghosts, some devils in Jesus' name. But I never ran again, and I don't run to this day. Amen. But I got to tell a story. Like If I'm going to tell, I got to tell it all. And there was these uh, two young people all dressed in black, began to preach to them. They stopped. They began to listen. And this one young man was vile. And he just began to say, you Christians are all hypocrites. Your priests do this and that. And he was naming every disgusting act that they have done. He said, and then he was using the words, and this is what you do. And then to, ch to, to put the cherry on top, he said, and my parents were Christian, and they did this to me. Blank your God. Blank what you believe. I mean, disgusting what was said that had happened to him. But the, the church, the Catholic church, it. Uh, 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 well, uh, 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 well, I, I guess I'll talk to you later then. No, I had to look him right in the eye and I had to say, I'm sorry for every wicked thing ever done to you, every child. If those priests and those parents have not repented, they're in hell right now. His friend next to him heard me preaching in the face of great opposition. And he said, man, give me your information. Let me just take it friend took the information. Later, 
that week. Matter of fact, I think it was that next day. Danny was his name. Called me up. And he said, is this the preacher? I'm like, yep, it's me. He's like, you won't believe what happened to me. I couldn't go to bed the other night. I was staying up late. I was feeling all kinds of ways on the inside, things happening that I hadn't felt before. We would call it conviction now. And he said, I was, I was drawn to putting on the TV, and it went right to the Christian channel. I guess his family was Christian. And he said, I started listening to the preacher preach, and I remember you talking to me about this. He said, so I accepted Jesus at the end of the sermon, and I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian now. Will you come to my house and start teaching me the Bible? So that's where that voice, that's where that voice was used. So I say, yeah, Danny, I'll come on over to your house. And some of you have heard this story before, but I'm adding some meat to the bone to this situation. And I'm there eating a good southern dinner with Danny and his family. And then all of a sudden we hear the doorbell ring. And who is it? It's that young man that was speaking all that vulgarity before. He's let in with his combat boots and all wearing black and his tatted up body. His name now we now know, I know, is Thorn. And Thorn looks at me, looks at Danny, takes a double take and walks right out. Danny didn't tell him I was there. Danny didn't tell him he was a Christian. Danny thought it would be a good idea to just have Thorn just come on over and we would explain it in person. Danny runs out there and begins to tell him his testimony. I see him come in with Thorn. Thorn sits down and begins to apologize and says, Man, that stuff I said about my parents wasn't even true. He said, My mom was actually a prostitute. She used to do bad things on drugs. I wasn't raised a Christian. I wasn't molested, but I had a tough life. And I really don't understand all this religious stuff. But my friend Danny, he seems to have really got touched by this. He said, so I'm open for you to tell me what, what Danny believes. Tell me what you are teaching. He sat at that dinner table and had a Bible study with us. And by the end of the Bible study, he gave his heart to Jesus. A few months later, joined the Bible college and became one of my closest friends in the ministry. You see, that's what God will do when you use your voice. You have to be willing to stand up when it all looks like it's against you, when it looks like no one's gonna pay attention. When everything is wrong, you still need to be able to stand up and do what's right. And I just want to encourage here today a church to be a voice, to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. And yes, at times you may feel alone, but Jesus is with you just like he was with John the Baptist there at the Jordan River. There is one among us whose sandals we can't even untie. He's going to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. He's the same one that when we preach on the streets that they may not see, but we know he's out there with us. And when they call on his name, he will show up and show off and do mighty things. Can I get an amen as we stand up today? Would you bless him in his name? I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. But I'm a voice. Come on, somebody say it today. I'm a voice. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? 
If you don't know Jesus yet, it's time to know him personally. You can repent of your sins and be born again right now. Just say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross in an attitude of prayer right now. We're going to close out. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to make you a new creation. If all you know what to do is start with, say, Jesus is Lord. He'll work with the rest right now. Those of us who are already Christians and want to be a voice, would you raise up your hands with me right now and say, Lord, I want to be your voice. I want to be your voice everywhere I go. Come on. Come on, be a voice. Be a voice. Some of you, the Lord's going to have you take out your boss for dinner. I'm not saying it's going to be for everybody. you got to use wisdom. But some of you, the Lord's going to say, take out your boss for dinner. And then you're going to preach the gospel to them. Off, off work hours. Come on, you're going to use your voice. Some of you are going to need to talk to your family that always praises the, praise the rosary, always talks about the mother of Guadalupe, so on and so forth. You're going to need to talk to them and say, but have you been born again, Abuela? But have you been born again, mother? Have you been born again? Some of you are going to have to talk to somebody you love. They've been living together for 20 years. They say that they don't need a marriage certificate. They still go to a church that accepts them. They might even be leaders at that church. But you need to tell them, hey, i got to be honest with you. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Come on, come on. Who has the courage today to pray, Lord, make me a voice? Oh, I wish I had time today to talk about high school students that I've known throughout the years that have gone to their high schools and said, God, make me a voice. And they stood on the corner of their high school as the school is dismissed and they preach to their own students while the students take Snapchats to mock them. What young people here will be a voice in the wilderness saying, I stand for Jesus. I'll be a voice. I'll be a voice. I'm not the Word, but I can give a voice to the Word. I'm not God, but I can tell you what God said. I'm not Jesus, but I can talk about Jesus. I'm a voice. God, I pray you give us courage right now to be a voice. Everyone here, come on, that needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in other tongues, the Bible says this will make you a witness, a person to share that voice. You can come forward even now. We'll pray for you. In a few moments, if you have any other kind of need, we'd love to pray.